Hello, lovely Water Trio listeners. We're back. And this time we're bringing you a bonus episode, which is the astrology of 2020. And the way we're going to be doing in this is the way we do all our episodes. We're not going to go through the whole thing. We're just going to pick our favorites and some of the highlights and some of the lowlights for the year ahead um, to be able to help you navigate the astro waters of what 2020 looks like. So how are you both? Fantastic. Excited for 2020? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I do always get excited about the year ahead in terms of I don't know, just fresh possibilities. What's it going to be about? Even though, you know, every year does have a mix of like highs and lows or challenges and, and positives. I, I guess I like the idea of taking some time to reflect on what, you know, the past year is about, what I felt I did well, what I'd like to do differently or do better for next year. So yeah, I'm looking forward to next year. What about you gals? Yeah, I mean, for me, I loved the same thing. Um, but then there's also that other part of me is like, why wait for a new year to do the things you want to do? So Right, yes. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, there is definitely that feeling of um, new possibilities and starting fresh and, you know, particularly with the solstice um, as a part of the sort of ingress into the new year. Um, yeah, just tackling new goals to tackle, new mountains to climb and, yeah, as you said, Kel, the reflection of what's past and what you can improve on, what you'll change and how you've grown. I think I love to look back just before recording. Um, I was looking back at a photo of you and I, Lishi, back in very beginning of January and <gasps> just had that thing of like, wow, like what this year has been. And so I, as the Cancerian, I think I do enjoy the little bit of a reflection back. Yes, you, you're definitely good at <laughs> holding on to the memories for sure. Definitely, definitely. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and what look, about this is you, the beginning of a new. Well, this is the beginning of a new decade too. Oh, yeah, I know a lot of people have been talking more, about I that. <laughs> I agree. I never really thought about that until I saw it all over the internet. Well, I guess yeah. for me, part of the reason that I'm like, I, I do have like maybe some sort of trigger and then like um, – rejection of that idea is I always like to think about what's well, not a new decade for me personally you know I always like no. to think about where am I in my mm. own cycles in, in the same way that I think the most important new year of any 12-month period is a person's birthday not January 1st for instance agreed um mm -hmm. but it but, but Lisa, you're right it is another 10-year decade it's the collective decade if you like rather than yeah. the individual decade and I feel like, you know, as we get further away from each decade, it's it's hard to know what it is when you're living in it. But, you yes. know, think back to the what the, the 90s look like now and to us. Oh, my who, gosh, yes. So much of us grew up in that and, and the noughties, you know. Yes. Exactly. The, the, the flavours are there. So it would be interesting to be able to look back on the 2010s, whatever, the, the 20-teens. The teens, um, yeah. And, and, and see what's going to be, what the next decade's going to be like. I mean, 2020, mm. I don't know. It was just, makes me think of Space Odyssey and all those kind of different things. So, <laughs> Well, remember when we were growing up, there was a show in Australia called Beyond 2000. That I used, remember. Right? That used to happen in like the 90s and it was all about like the technology of the new era and stuff like that. And obviously we're way beyond 2000 now, but 2020 has a kind of ring to it that 2000 did. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on astrologically this year. And 
that will be able to, I think will help guide us. And Leisha, as you were saying, like, we're not going to try and cover everything. We're just doing, we're doing a slightly longer episode today, but we've just picked out really half a dozen standout astrological things for, for 2020. So to help us with this year, but really to kick off the next decade, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, first I off, mean, Cass, you're pretty keen about um, one of the first aspects we're going to talk about. Well, uh, before that, a, just oh, even before that, leash, yes. <laughs> well, we just wanted to say because we've already oh, yes. recorded the Saturn Pluto, so yes. not to say that we've forgotten about that, but that that is of itself a bonus episode because there is so much in that and especially that middle first couple of weeks of January, first three weeks of January really, the juice that's in there, <laughs> the, the, the change, the possibilities of that whole of January. So for anybody listening, if you want to go back and have a look, we dropped a bonus episode about a month ago. So go and have a listen out for that. But yeah, sorry for interrupting Cass and off you go. Thank you, Lishi. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Jupiter-Neptune. So those aspects take place at Jupiter, sextile Jupiter in Capricorn, sextile Neptune in Pisces. We're looking at fe- very early, or very late February. Um, so that happens at 17 degrees. Uh, July, end of July, we've got 20 degrees and then uh, mid-October at 18 degrees. So if you take the Capricorn house of your birth chart and the Neptune piece is sextiling that it's almost got this feel to it that you know we still can cling to a little bit of hope a little bit of possibility uh, and still stay connected to our dreams and our goals and our inspiration to a certain extent so in a way I feel like Neptune has a little bit of potential to pull Jupiter out of the dryness in this barren land he is uh, traversing through 2020. I'm going to just pop it on the screen quickly. Thank you. Oh, thanks, I was wondering, Kel. oh, my God, we've dropped out of the meeting. But, um, yeah, so I think there is those, you know, the three links there, February, July and October, where we can be reminded of what is possible. Um, if we remain inspired, we still continue to do that Jupiter and Capricorn work, um, but still have that connection to possibility, even if that goal, all the Jupiter goals, uh, the Capricorn goals rather, feel a little bit overwhelming or feel a little bit scary. There is that support from Neptune to still, you know, go there and keep the faith and uh, remain inspired. So um, I'm just going to like ride that way. <laughs> 2020 um and you know it does link to houses of your birth chart so where might one house the neptune bit might need to connect to a dream connect to inspiration to connect to possibilities to help you find that greater purpose to all the capricorn hardship or all the capricorn work or all the capricorn reality and clarity so i guess that can give us a little bit of a you know, a, a life raft, if you like, to hang on to throughout 2020. What do you girls think about it? Life raft, escape hatch. Um, I feel <laughs> like it, it will exactly <laughs> Netflix and chill. I think it'll definitely be that chance to really, you know, pop pop the hatch on reality for a while um, because we uh, will have out, so, so much. Mm. Exactly, we just will have yeah. so much focus on that Capricorn 
yeah. uh, area in our chart this year, really, of, for all of us. So Neptune's going to be there to, as you say, you know, to to bleed the edges a bit, to help help things merge and to keep the imagination and the creativity piece of all of this alive because mm. if it is all dry, you know, it, it's all work and no play. Whereas this is that piece where we can keep the imagination coming in. Um, you know, I think we were referring to this a bit as the, I, I feel like it won't be that different to the um, the Saturn-Neptune aspect from last year, you know, make the, um, what were you calling it, Cass? I think make the impossible possible or or like in Mary Poppins said, you know, nothing's impossible. You know, you, you're, all your dreams are possible. So it's, it's that tangibility matched with the dreams that really can bring things into alignment. Mm. And um, yeah, it's a sextile. So both in feminine signs, there's a lot more flow. It, it, I think it'll be a really lovely, it's one of the loveliest aspects of the year for me, um, I'm thinking. So, yeah. What about you, Kel? Yeah, look, it's definitely one of the more gentle influences for 2020. Um, I like the piece that you mentioned, Cass, around like the connection between the Capricorn part of the chart and the Neptune part of the chart. Um, those two parts of our lives have been quite connected while Saturn has been going through Capricorn. So for the last two years, and now Jupiter's coming in to maybe take things to the next level or to help create a little bit of cohesion where there's been maybe like that sense of how do we get these two parts of our lives together. And I guess the feeling that I had was if the Capricorn, if the topics of your Capricorn house and your personal chart become a little too intense or a little too like right up front and center, you can probably escape or kind of recharge or refresh by going into the Neptune and Pisces part of your chart. Um, that can be like a nice, um, just a softening place, if you like, for this year. And when did you say the dates yeah. were? February. We've got February um, 21st, we've got July 28th and October 12th. Okay, cool. So that'll be running background all year for people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So book your holidays then, everyone. Yes. <laughs> Escape holidays, <laughs> like retreats to Fiji. Oh, Leash, I think you're muted, unfortunately. Oh, sorry. There you go. Escape holidays, retreats to Fiji or things like that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so that's not the only we... thing happening with Jupiter this year, though, is there? There was uh, a really potent uh, Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. Do we want to talk about that next or do we want to talk about something different? I think that's no. what's next on the list. Next on the list? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. Who's going to dive in there? Um, well, I can dive in and then we'll all, we'll, I'm sure we'll all have something to say about Jupiter-Pluto. It is, Jupiter-Pluto is such a potent kind of force, you know, that idea of the, um, the destroy, rebuild quality of Pluto, along with the expansive, you know, everything is kind of enhanced or amplified of Jupiter. And <clears throat> Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions can be really potent or transformative or evocative. I personally think the Jupiter-Pluto is one of my kind of outer planet signature aspects for the year after the Saturn-Pluto in January. But the funny thing with the Saturn-Pluto is it does just happen once and that's January, whereas the Jupiter-Pluto is like a three-time process that's going to unfold throughout the year. And, you know, when you see Jupiter-Pluto like this in a birth chart, it can be a signature of wealth or money or power. And so I think that's a clue that, 
topics to do with money and power in institutions, which would be Capricorn, but money and power to do with the Capricorn parts of our life, if we bring it right back down to the personal. Um, There is this sense of like tapping into power, but maybe having to cut off things that could be a little bit toxic or might have kind of been festering a little bit. So it's a real mix of things. Um, I like the Jupiter-Pluto from a sense of tapping into something internally and being able to remake a part of your chart, the Capricorn part of your chart, so that it better fits your values, your integrity, or your personal code, if you like. Uh, But I feel like there's so much to say about this. I'd love to hear what each of you gals are thinking about this aspect so far. You go, Leishi. Um. I've been actually thinking about how really, you know, we've had Pluto in Capricorn now since the end of 2008. And my feeling is, is it's like a magnifying glass. It's being brought to this, you know, it's going to expand it, bring it up, open it up to whatever's been going on in our lives around this. So there's almost this feeling of, you know, there's been so much transformation in that really deep plutonic way of really getting into things, digesting things, processing things. And now Jupiter's going to come up and highlight that. And my feeling is because, you know, we're coming to the end of this cycle now. I mean, Pluto's only in Capricorn for what, another two or three years, um, if that. So there's that sense of, okay, this is a chance to really learn the lesson. So I feel like there's like hope through rebirth, but we still have to go through the the death cycle, like the, the dying part to get to the rebirth part. So Jupiter may highlight both sides of that cycle, but um, yeah, that, that really feeling of, of hope and optimism that Jupiter can bring, it's like the hero's journey. You know, we're right at the bottom. We're right at the bottom now. We're getting to the sticky bits and Jupiter's helping us see there is possibility now. We can we can rise up out of this place. You know, the caterpillar is coming out of the cocoon and ready to become the butterfly, but it's not quite there yet. Things are still being pieced together. And, and Jupiter processes, progresses things forward. So I feel like this is almost the juice that will help people really push whatever Pluto and Capricorn has been doing for them. Beautiful What points. about you? Yeah, Cass, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm sort of with you, Kel, on the plu- uh, the plus, please. <laughs> I can't <laughs> even talk to it. <laughs> what is that? The wealth piece. So right. you know, Jupiter, um, <clears throat> Jupiter-Pluto is very indicative of kind of, you know, of wealth or growth. And this doesn't necessarily always mean practical wealth or physical wealth. We have to look to the our personal charts where that can uh, really play out. But I think you know, where this whole cycle is playing out is also on the back end of everything that happened through 2019. So, you know, Jupiter can really add, you know, drops of rain or some moisture to a part of our life that's been pretty barren or thin on the ground and taking that transformative quality or that, you know, reshaping things with Pluto and Jupiter coming along and maybe really acknowledging that you have more power in a situation than what you thought you had. Maybe you have more negotiation power than what you thought you had in a situation. And Jupiter can really help maybe grease the wheels around that sort of uh, intense growth or manifestations of things. I mean, it can also go two ways, you know, more than one way. Um, It can also be about... Um, 
you know, misuse of power or um, abusive power as well or taking advantage of things. You know, Jupiter can expand, you know, and uh, amplify stuff, make things bigger. And, you know, what's going on in your uh, your Capricorn house can make that really, really good or really, really bad, depending on kind of what's going on for you. But, you know, Jupiter's going to Jupiter and that's kind of what I'm uh, taking into 2020. And so, you know, there is a little bit of rain in something that's perhaps perhaps felt barren or thin um, throughout, you know, 2019 and into early 2020. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's and when I think like I was just having a look to see, you know, who are some notable people from the past that might have Jupiter and Pluto together in their chart. And we have people like um, Kepler, you know, the gentleman who kind of reformulated uh, so many important things with science at the time. Uh, we also have Gandhi and then a more modern example, uh, we've got Nelson Mandela and Bill Gates. Now, they don't yeah. have Jupiter and Pluto conjunct in Capricorn, obviously, because um, we have to go back like 250 years to find that. To get that. Yeah, mm. but just some examples. So I think, you know, Jupiter and Pluto, it, there's a real sense of force or power here, mm. if you like magical potency, and it's really very much up to each of us to decide how we want to take that energy and use it to um, transform or to kind of like destroy what's not working to rebuild something that is going to be more long lasting and more sustainable, but more meaningful perhaps. Yeah. 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 Agreed. It's a big, yeah, so that's what April, June and November. Yeah. yeah. So let's, uh, and the November one, dates. yeah, the November one's going to be interesting as well, because that is when Saturn has retrograded back to within I think it's four degrees, three degrees of this point. So I think it'll be, you know, the other two are kind of on their own, whereas this is uh, Saturn bringing in its influence in as well. So, I, yeah, I yeah, just feel I mean, this combination. You, yeah, what are you going to say, Lee? Sorry. Well, I just think there's a, there's a bit of an obsessive yeah, energy a- to this combination. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like a zealot Jupiter grows or, and expands. Yeah. Yeah, whatever it touches. So there's this kind of, exactly, this zealot tree, but it, it's almost like this obsessive, because it's Capricorn, this obsessive holding on to structure and hierarchies that keep people in power. Um, but how is that going to be swept away? What's going to sweep that away? And especially in our in our own lives, you know, what do our, like you guys were talking about, what do our power structures look like? And do they need to exist that way? You know, where can we bring in more equality? And it may be that, you know, other people have more power than us, or it may be that we're taking on power and we don't even realise it. Um, so if if we're kind of going down those those power holes um, and ego holes with ourselves is to be going, okay, where do we need to pull ourselves back a bit and come back to the reality of it all, the truth of it all? Yeah, that's a, a really beautiful point, Leish. And we did have some periods in, you know, for people looking back, 2008, where we had Jupiter and Pluto both in Capricorn for a few months here and there, but we didn't actually have, the last time Jupiter and Pluto were conjunct was in Sag. So this is a mm. new energy um, you know, Jupiter only meets Pluto um, every kind of 12, 12 to 13 years. And so there is a real sense of like that's something a little significant that's happening uh, this year. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's a biggie. That's a big aspect for people to keep watching, yeah. I guess. I mean, like yeah, so how would date- you guys think about that in terms, I mean, all aspects can go, you know, within a range of um, meanings, but how would you girls, you know, if you had to rate it on the scale of good, bad, something positive, you know, have 2020, like how, because yeah, like a lot I- of people are like, Saturn Pluto is getting all the bandwidth here on the internet, and I'm thinking, well, you know, Jupiter Pluto have, you know, as you said, three times, not yeah. one time. Yeah. Um, and Jupiter is the planet that's, um, you know, Saturn kind of is, you know, moves into Aquarius for a bit this year, but you know, Jupiter is kind of the the most active or movable. You know, it's kind of coming into Capricorn this year and making everything bigger. So. It's kind of the, the uncomfortable planet in in the lineup this year. So, I mean, how would you guys um, rate that on the uh, yeah the Richter scale of no, astrology? Totally. <laughs> I, I think, and it is tricky, but to say like something is absolutely good or bad. But I think uh, to pick up the thread you're mentioning there, Cass. Jupiter-Pluto will be conjunct at 22 and 24 of Capricorn, which is basically where Saturn and Pluto are going to be conjunct earlier in the year. So one thing this conjunction does is it serves to further emphasize a very specific part of the zodiac that is being really active. So if you have any planets in your natal chart or your ascendant or your midheaven uh, or even your descendant or your IC are around that 22, 23, 24 degrees of Capricorn, Jupiter coming in, I think what Jupiter does is say, you know, there might be a challenge, there might be a pressure, there might be a power play that you're dealing with, but Jupiter is showing you that there is some, whether it's a piece of hope or it's a sense of, I need to deal with this so that I can be living a life that is just much more authentic for me. Um, So there's something, it almost to me feels like an aspect that has some intensity and confrontation that can be a little difficult to stomach in, but it's worth going through because the potential outcome is definitely something that you would want to get, if that makes sense. So to me, it feels like it is actually a bit of both. Yes. What do you think, Leish? I just keep thinking of Luke Skywalker and Yoda. Okay. You know, on on that planet where, you know, Luke was just, he was trying to learn to use his power, his mind power and lift this plane up out of the swamp and he wanted to do it his way and it had to be totally about that. And he had this kind, thoughtful, wise master there kind of driving, trying to guide him through it and and trying to show him what the truth of situation really was. And so Mm. I feel like, you know, that's what actually Jupiter offers. It, It brings in some wisdom. It brings in some hope. But it may be that you have to let go of whatever fixed thinking and whatever hole that you've driven yourself down into or, or back whatever corner you've backed yourself into to let to be able to listen to that and to be able to open mm. up to that. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, you know, I always see Jupiter as a real wisdom piece. So, and especially in Capricorn, it's quite an ancient wisdom. So it's like, okay, how can I let go of my own need my own thought and my own worldview to be able to let some of that in so mm. so yeah. something you said there Lise, just reminded me yeah I have always thought of Capricorn as being that old wisdom like from a pagan um yeah. kind of Celtic wheel of the year type of perspective 
And then, then, you know, if we remind ourselves that the original symbol or image for Capricorn wasn't the mountain goat, but it was this mystical sea goat that's like a half goat with like a fishtail mermaid bottom type of thing. And it was this weird creature that had more of a watery spiritual or intuitive kind of quality. I mean, it is it is like a creature that doesn't exist between Capricorn and then the centaur, which is often linked to Sag. You know, these are just sort of the only two signs that have these otherworldly components to them. And so I think there is more to Capricorn than just, mm. you know, um, power structures and politics and banking industries and things like that. Although I, I do think we are going to see a lot of shifting of power dynamics there in 2020. Uh, but I think that idea is like the personal level, like how can you make the meta micro, which is, yeah, you know, how am I doing that shifting power dynamics? And I think it's a beautiful point, Leash, about drawing on that inner wisdom, basically. Yeah, the yeah. mystical sea goat within us yeah. all. Yeah, okay, actually so the mythology of that's super cool. It's so, um, it, if yeah, anyone so wants to look at that. hopefully they'll just plant a seed that'll send people down like a research rabbit hole where they can go and uh, exactly. dive into that. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so next on next, our list. We have, da, 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 I think we've got Saturn moving into Aquarius. Oh, yeah, 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 Saturn into Aquarius. And that's happening on the 22nd of March. March. And then it, yes. July 2. And then it, so if you're really sick of Saturn in Capricorn, you will actually get a break. You will get a taste of the future. Yeah, we'll get this a taste is... of the other Saturn. Yeah. <laughs> Which and the Especially other Saturn... for those Capricorn. Yeah. Sorry, Kel. No, no, no. Well, just especially for those Capricorn risings and those cancer risings and, you know, it's like Saturn out of there. Hooray, hurrah. Yeah, I think if you've got a lot of cardinal energy angular in your chart, then... Um, Relief. There, yeah. there is a little bit of relief. There's some stuff going on in the second half of the year that will not feel like relief, but no. the Saturn going into Aquarius is definitely, and I think for all of us, it is a taste of the future. It's like end mm, of March to early July, Saturn. So the pressure just comes out of Capricorn for a few moments. Yeah. Um, we're not done yet. It's like um, a third period break where you're like, catch your breath. We've still got to go back in for the fourth quarter. But uh, we get a little bit of a chance to to shift, and one of, it is still Saturn rules. So Saturn rules both Capricorn and Aquarius. But there is a lighter and much less melancholy quality to Saturn when he's in Aquarius versus in Capricorn. So I know it's not everything, and I know we don't have Saturn in Aquarius permanently until the end of 2020. But I, for one, am quite excited just to you know have that heaviness lift for a few months. Um, yeah. I can see you both yeah, nodding. Yeah, totally. Like, yes, for sure. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, I think that, Saturn, yeah, go, yeah, go, Kaz. I think Saturn in Aquarius is definitely going to be, I guess, for our American friends, the best part of their spring and summer um, uh, vision of the future, if you like, where, yep. um, you know, if you think about Jupiter being uh, emphasising the whole Capricorn part in 2020 um, it's still looking to Saturn for guidance but a more palatable version for Jupiter um, Aquarius being a hot and moist sign Jupiter being a hot and moist planet so it's a little still Saturn ruled but a little bit more conducive to the way that Saturn operates uh, sorry Jupiter operates because Jupiter is a little bit sort of visionary in its um, way it's always thinking towards the, the future and possibilities and Aquarius is doing that too just in a, a bit of a different function around it so the way I'm kind of 
visualizing or thinking about these few months is <clears throat> it is a little bit of respite from the intense Capricorn energy, um, but it can also be okay. Um, here's my crossroads or here is my fork in the road as well. It's like I've got a little bit of a break or a reprieve, a relief. Okay, I can see the light at the end of the Capricorn tunnel now. It's like, do I, how much do I have to pull my socks up? Or, you know, am I on track to bring in, uh, you know, this new uh, 2021 type of energy? Am I on track or do I still have a fair amount of work to do? So I think that will give you a little bit of a, um, a check-in or a cosmic report card in how you're tracking around, you know, the larger cycle of the Capricorn stuff. So a relief but also a bit of a, a check-in at the same time. Yeah, and I think there is that relief if for the cardinal planets. And the one thing that I want to just throw out, and this is like a teaser for stuff for 2021, is that with Saturn coming into Aquarius, it is starting to connect with the Uranus in Taurus vibe. And so um, if you are a heavy fixed sign chart, so you've got a lot of planets in Taurus or Leo or Scorpio or Aquarius, Saturn coming into Aquarius is actually the start of what the next few years are going to be about um, for you personally. So there is, exactly, it is like that transition feeling. And that's, that's one of the feelings I have for 2020 in general, general is that it's a transition year between yeah. closing mm. down of a cycle that's been running for the last three years with the Saturn in Capricorn and then crossing into that threshold of Saturn going into Aquarius, which, which triggers quite a few things, but certainly, you know, at this point, we'll just say it is going to be starting to trigger the fixed signs in a new way. So yeah. that, yeah, if you're a strong fixed sign chart or early, fixed signs, um, you know, the, the first few degrees of fixed signs are really important in your chart, then you're actually starting, yeah, a process that you're going to run through into to 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so many things. Leisha, um, do you have any thoughts on this one? Um, I just feel like with Saturn moving into Aquarius, I always see, you know, Saturn rules both Capricorn and Aquarius. In Capricorn, Saturn's laying down the boundaries. In Aquarius, he knows where they are and he's working out ways that he can break them or step over them or move, move around them. And so there's a sense of we've laid down all the boundaries for the last two and a half years. We've, we've said no to what we needed to say no to, to enable us to now say yes to some things and to be able to look towards the future and, and vision what that could be. Um, so in the saying yes, in the saying no, it's like, okay, well, this is where my boundary is. Now I'll take tentative steps over it and I'll test it out, I'll experiment, see if it'll work, see if it won't. Um, so it is that kind of, you know, just dancing around the edges energy um, of Aquarius that I really like the feeling of. So, you know, I do have planets in early fixed signs, so um but, you know, hey, let's just keep rolling with the Saturn Me too, energy. Leash. Me too, my love. Um, yeah, so yeah. we'll be, I'm like, oh, that's happening. So Exactly. Yeah. Like one part of my chart's happy because the, the late Capricorn, but another part of my chart is like, oh, we're going down that road. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But that's that transition feeling, I think, is that, you know, a big planet like Saturn going into a new sign just changes the cosmic landscape so substantially. Yeah, totally. And it's going to be a bit of a test as well of that grand conjunction that we'll be talking about at the end, late, later in the episode, you know, of what that possibly could look like, what that ground might feel like, because um, that's a huge shift in itself, 200-year shift. So, yes. yeah. 
Yes, I know there's we'll so many big later. shifts. Um, I know. Okay, so that's Saturn going into Aquarius. Um, Next up, we've got Venus retrograde in Gemini. I think it is before that. Do we have the nodes changing the signs? The nodes change early May, oh, I think. Sorry, yeah, yes. no, no, that's okay. I know we've all got various pieces of data. So this is a true collaborative energy. I know there's <laughs> like so many and pieces of paper. My cat Merlin, oh, she's just off screen right now, but she is just adding her energy to the broadcast. Um, so yeah, the nodes changing sign. Cass, why don't you talk to us about this? I feel like you're quite excited in this. <laughs> yeah, bring us the oh, well, good news. Yeah, I mean, I think perhaps the North Node going into Gemini is, well, A, is going to take the edge, the cardinal edge off, and I think B, going into a fellow air sign um, along with Aquarius, uh, Saturn in Aquarius, it is going to kind of, you know, bring us out of the earth element, out of the grounded, practical, melancholic reality of things. And, you know, where like that proverbial head down, bum up. And now we've got a few planetary shifts mid-year where we can start to like come back up for air and go, oh yeah, that's what the world looks like again. And start to go, oh, so this is the reason why I've been working so hard. Or this is the reason why I've had to deal with this stuff because there's all this out there. So we're talking air, we're talking connectivity, we're talking ideas and inspiration. And, you know, from an elemental shift, it's a huge energetic boost it's a huge energetic lift and i think the node in gemini um what's that like just a, very shortly after uh saturn moves into aquarius for that little window of time we've got an overlapping of you know the future of what air looks like um that uh, mid-year so you know if you're mutable it's going to uh bring in a um, new eclipse energy in your angular houses um so that's something to uh maybe look forward to or maybe not depending on how you view eclipses but what it is going to highlight you know if you are a gemini or if you've got uh, angles in gemini um or the other mutable signs of uh, virgo sagittarius and pisces it is going to bring some more dynamic shifts and changes into those four pillars of your birth chart uh, being the first house of you seventh house of other tenth of career and fourth of home and family so that's the area for some scope and change um, as the node moves into gemini and triggers off again that transitional energy of eclipses moving out of the cycle they've been into um, or where they've been uh, Cancer Capricorn and moving into what they're going into being Gemini and Sagittarius. So, yeah, we'll start to see a window of possibilities, I feel. Love yep. it. How about, totally. how about you ladies? What do you think about the node in Gemini? I'm just glad to have the south node <laughs> away from Saturn and Pluto and out of the, out of the cardinal planets. Yeah, yep. that's one of the yeah. things I'm super excited about too. And I think it's going to be, um, it will be really interesting as well because the South Node will now be travelling over all that territory Jupiter and Sagittarius has just been in. So I feel like it's almost like all the things we've said yes to, all the excitement, all the build-up, all the hope and the courage and the confidence, it's like this vacuum cleaner is going to come along and go, okay, well, do we need that? Okay. Let's let's refine. Let let's let's dig into things a little bit here um, and check that everything we've built 
will really have purpose and have meaning to us as, as we continue. So we're not kind of stuck in that overinflated place, possibly, that Jupiter and mm. Sagittarius might have said, you know, that buffet of crazy that we talk about. Maybe a bit of a clean up of your Sag house in a way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do agree that one of the big things I'm most excited about with the nodes changing is just to not have Saturn and the nodes in the same axis or certainly in the same sign. So I think there's a collective, and this is what I mean by like 2020 is a year of transition, that there mm. is this collective now pulling apart of that combination, which has been so heavy. Um, but I do, I'm, I kind of like eclipses in mutable signs because I think, you know, eclipses by nature stir things up and get things moving that have been really stagnant and mutable signs are so much about movement anyway. Um, when look, I mean, particularly Gemini and Sagittarius. So I am looking forward to them. Yeah. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see, you know, because we've got one more eclipse, don't we, this year in Capricorn? Um. We have a couple. Oh, no, in Cancer. We have a we have a Capricorn eclipse in January and a Cancer eclipse in uh, um, June. So it is a transition yeah. year where the eclipses are sort of straddling different signs as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, Sorry, but I guess I mean June, to be really explicit cancer. for people, yeah, like the eclipses are defined by a new moon or a full moon happening close to the nodes. So when the nodes start to change signs, yeah, there is that shift of um, the eclipses are now going to move. You know. By the time we get to end of 2020, um, we'll be having just eclipses in Gemini and Sagittarius, and then that'll be all of 2021 as well. Yeah, so the first lunation that we'll, we'll have in these, like linked to the new nodal movement is that one on the 6th of June, which is a lunar eclipse, in a full moon in Sag. Yes. Yeah. Lunar eclipse. So, but then, you know, two weeks later, we're back to the, the Cancer energy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what that flip looks like and how that tail within itself tells you what the switch will look like, um, what you're letting go of with that, you know, what the new is with the lunar eclipse in Sag um, and what we're letting go of with that solar eclipse in, in Cancer, you know, what we're saying goodbye to. Totally. So another big shift happening in that uh, second quarter of 2020, like that spring quarter for the Northern Hemisphere, the autumn period of time for the Southern Hemisphere. Cool. Okay, speaking of Gemini, I guess now it's Venus retrograde in Gemini, yeah? It's the next yeah. cab off the rank. It is. Yep. Venus it, retrograde, memories, huh? Memories of 2012, everybody, where mm -hmm. Venus was last retrograde in Gemini. So her cycle, she retrogrades in the same sign uh, every, was it, eight years? <laughs> I was going to say 12 now. I've just had Jupiter on the brain today. So, yeah, it casts your minds back to that mid-year period in 2012. Look at your Gemini house and you'll get a feel for, you know, what values are changing, what aesthetics are changing, um, what things are changing in the regards of Gemini in your birth chart. So, you know, this is also going to kind of, you know, uh, be there with, that nodal shift and that change of energy mm. as well. So we've kind of got this double whammy of, you know, Gemini part of your world is really shifting and changing It might and in really quite strong and dramatic ways. So there's this element of maybe, uh, you know, pushing forward into the future, 
ready or not. So wherever Gemini lies for you. So how about you girls? What do you think about uh, the <laughs> Gemini piece? Well, Venus I think retrograde. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because this is one of the tone shifts that we're really seeing for 2020. Early May, Venus, uh, sorry, the nodes go into Gemini and Sag, North Node's coming into Gemini. And then just a few weeks later, we have Venus going retrograde in Gemini. So we're starting to get a real emphasis on the Gemini parts of our chart. And look, I do have a bit of, I, I feel like Venus in Gemini is quite fun. It's very uplifting. It's, there's a very social quality to it. It's very interactive. It can really help sweeten and enhance all of our interpersonal dynamics. And we're going to get an extra long dose of Venus in Gemini this year. Um, but the retrograde itself is asking for that reflection and reassessing. And did we give the dates of the retrograde yet? Um, my cat um, is May just sitting a little bit on June. some of my um, – until end of June 24th or 25th or something. Yeah. 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 So uh, May 14th to June 24. So we're looking at approximately – uh, five degrees through to 21 degrees of Gemini. Right, so 21 mm. um, back to five. Yeah, the one thing I did notice is that the start of that Venus retrograde, Venus will be in a, a, a square aspect to Neptune, sort of just before yes. and just after. And so that adds a level, I think, of confusion or uncertainty or even maybe that tendency of being a bit idealistic and seeing how good things could be and then through the unravelling of the Venus retrograde, realising that the things might not be quite what you'd hoped. So needing to kind of... Yeah. The feeling I have when I think about this Venus retrograde, the image is like, you know, a ball of wool that's all been mushed up together and all that, that mushed up together is like all the entanglements of friendships and different relationship dynamics and then through the retrograde trying to kind of pull pieces out so you can see what they're like and how they operate mm. together. Yeah, that's a good point because the interesting thing too, like, She's retrograding and squaring Neptune. Uh, she'll also square Mars. Um, mm. But, yeah. And so, she'll get but wrapped up love, in that eclipse. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But yeah. what I love, and we're really honing in on Venus this time, aren't we? Um, but I love how despite the confusion, despite the, the entanglement or the uncertainty that this retrograde brings, um, you know, the last aspect she makes while in Gemini is to conjoin the North Node um, in Gemini. So whatever comes up through the retrograde, there's a push forward and out. Um, and maybe uh, I feel that there's like an essence of leaving something behind with that. So, yeah, interesting. So, so, what, so what did you say? Sorry, Cass, leaving something out? You know, leaving something behind, you know, or perhaps having to, or, you know, or even on the more positive side after the reflection and the renewal, you know, starting afresh perhaps with new perspectives or new ideas around things, particularly if, if the retrograde is about maybe communication breakdowns or a loss of connection or connectivity with the Venus part of your world. Um, yeah, so that last uh, North Node conjunction happens at 28 degrees of Gemini so 
Yeah, just as the node is going in, Venus is moving out. So, yeah, and we'll that see must what happens be, I guess, there. like, um, is that in July? August. August. That happens okay. in August. Okay. So, uh, the beginning of August, uh, August 5. Yeah. So, so, Venus is in Gemini for quite a chunk of time. So that And the retrograde, yeah. has, you mentioned the eight-year cycle. It really is like a bookend to cycles that, like, 2012, 2020, uh, you know, this is one of the great things astrology does is it can link different years in our lives that otherwise don't seem connected. So 2012, that May-June period um, is linked by the Venus retrograde cycle to May-June of 2020. And when I think back to May-June of 2012, that was when uh, there was a big astrology conference. UAC was down in New Orleans and that was actually when I really got to know um, some of my best astro buddies now. That was when I first um, sort of met them and got to know them. So there mm. is sort of that social quality. And yeah. uh, we'll all be, well, not all of us, but Cass, you and I will be attending another astrology conference in this Venus retrograde, which will be Norwac 2020, which is in Seattle at the end of May. No, no, I'm not going to Norway. Oh, I beg your pardon. Okay, sorry. I'm no. like projecting my wishes into this <laughs> time. Uh, I'll be well, going and true. I'll see you guys later in the year. <laughs> yeah. Well, not unless you're foretelling the future, Kel, but I don't have anything on the sketch okay. uh, to at this point in time. Okay, so, got it. Um, That's my hopes yeah, well, and wishes coming through right there. <laughs> Oh, any chance to go back to Seattle, I'll take it. Um, Lishi, what about your uh, 2012 Gemini time? How did that play out for you? Hmm. Uh, I can't really remember because I was in a haze of new motherhood then, but I do remember oh, a previous yeah. Venus retrograde and, I, you know, there is a lot of, oh, my God, I'm not going to have any relationships in Venus retrograde or, you know, a lot of people are scared of meeting people under Venus retrograde. My personal experience with it and, and what I've seen with some clients is it's, it's a chance to reevaluate how you love and how you and what you deserve and what you are worth. Um, you know, that was one of the, the biggest relationships for me was under a Venus retrograde. I'm sure you gals remember exactly the one yes. I'm talking about. Um, and it was kind of, it was a doomed relationship in many ways, mostly because of geography. But I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about what I deserve in relationships and what I don't have yeah. to put up with. And through the communication, through the connections, through that Gemini energy. So definitely use this Venus retrograde as a time to just reassess, reevaluate, re-look at how you want to relate to others, what what the meaning of it is. It doesn't just have to be, you know, love relationships. It can be any kind of relationship in your life. How do you bring things together? And who who are you in that piece? Um, and I love that this is in a, you know, a more masculine yin sign. It, it just seems more active. Um, yeah. So it's, it's less about the kind of the dwelly and more about the, okay, you know, I need to think about this, but maybe I can chat to others about it as I'm doing it to get their perspective on it too. So yeah, that's my sure. sense about this. Yeah. yeah. So that's definitely going to flavour the middle of part of the year, isn't it, that Venus retro? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, and then what's up next? Do we I then head we straight into Mars of, retro? Yeah, we kind of go from one retro to the next. Yeah. Lucky yep, us. Totally. It's one yep. of those years again. Yeah. 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 Mars All retrograde right. in Aries, huh? 
Shall I? Shall I take the lead on that piece? Lucky you, Leash. I would. Um, I'll keep my uh, Venus retrograde in my first house, and you can have the Mars in yours. I'm Isn't that hilarious? That. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean. I don't know. I, I actually don't see it as that bad a thing. Um, although in this particular year, yes, it is. But, but Mars retrogrades are not always bad, but I think this one is like when we've got all this heavy Capricorn energy, you know, um, things are holding us down. It's going to be like, where's our mojo going to come from? Where are we going to get it from? Uh, how are we going to push ourselves forward? How are we going to drive ourselves forward? And you know, Mars retrograde in a very highly independent, highly forward thrusting, very impulsive Aries is not, I don't know, it's just not going to be that happy. So there is a sense of knowing in this period. So um, the Mars retrograde in Aries, it starts on the 9th of September at 28 degrees, 9th or 10th, um, and then it goes direct again on the 14th of November. Uh, so that's quite a long time that Mars is going to be in Aries because Mars enters Aries, where's my notes? Like end of June. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mars is there for like, so Mars is, so to set the scene, Mars is in Aries for about six months, end of June, uh, 2020, I think until early January. The of first yeah. week of January. Yeah, yeah. So that's, and that instead is Instead totally, of six weeks. Yeah. So six months six instead months. of six weeks. And that's yeah. totally because the, there is this retrograde and Mars retrogrades are different from Venus retrogrades. Venus retrogrades are very steady and consistent. It's every eight years in the same sign within a couple of degrees. Mars retrogrades are much more, if you like, erratic or sporadic. They just kind of bounce around the zodiac in unusual, not unusual, but there isn't a steady pattern to it. So yeah. the Mars in Aries, and yeah, I agree with you, Leash. There are some Mars retrogrades that are kind of mild and like sort of just happening in one part of the sky by themselves. But because the Mars in Aries in 2020, it picks up all the cardinal activity, including mm-hmm. forming a square aspect to Saturn in Capricorn, which is one of the more difficult types of aspects that can form in traditional or ancient astrology. Like Mars-Saturn oppositions or squares can be that heavier, uh, sort of more difficult type of combination. And unfortunately, we're getting two of those in that second half of the year. Like I think between um, late August, so Mars will square Saturn at the end of August. Uh, Mars then goes retrograde in September and Mars also squares Saturn, I think, late September. So there is this six, six, six weeks period from like late August to late September that to my mind I think is going to have this heavy, um, it's like a vice grip t- type of feel. Uh, so when I looked at, you know, 2020 and we're looking at best and worst or highs and lows, I think this is going to be one of those more pressured periods, if you like. Mm-hmm. Not that the, the end of the Mars retrograde is not important because it is, but the way the Mars retrograde starts with this involvement with Saturn um, is it definitely adds a level of frustration, if you like. Yeah, I think, you know, when we think about um, that window of, I described the window of Saturn and Aquarius as being, okay, I've got a bit of a reprieve or a breather on the Saturn and Cap energy. I work out how far I've come and what I've yet left to do. 
and the Mars retrograding, uh, squaring Saturn might be your moment of, oh shit, I've got a hell of a lot more than I thought. And maybe the reality dawning down or maybe um, the realization that there's a monumental task that you still have to get through or that intense pressure or that heaviness or just the grindstone feeling that there's just a lot to do to get through this period. Yeah. And that feeling that you just don't have the energy to do it. So it's just, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a steady, it's a, a slower pace. Yeah. Mm. It, it's not the, it's not the usual Mars in Aries kind of let's get out there and let's get at them because, you know, Mars is going so slow for most of this period as well. And then backwards um, and then slowly forwards again, it's, it's definitely mm. not a happy energy at all. Yeah. I think there are different, um, like chapters within the Mars retrograde because there is a little bit of Mars, sorry, the Mars in Aries period. There's a little bit of Mars in Aries in July where Mars is not in its shadow period and just kind of cruising in Aries, which I think is going to be yeah. like there's a, there is a bit of a, a charge just in July. Mm. And then when we break it down, Mars starts to slow down, starts dealing with Saturn, goes retrograde. So that's where I sort of thought like mid-August to end of September, probably the more frustrating part um, and then there will be a period of Mars in Aries towards the end of the year after the retrograde has finished, where Mars is now moving forward through Aries, not grappling with Saturn in the way that it was. And that will feel like for some of us, we're going to like, we're going to hit the ground running in July. We're going to be like, I've got all this energy. I've got all these plans. And then we're going to have that, oh my God, I've run into the proverbial brick wall. And there's going to be that delay or that classic retrograde of review, reflect, reassess, restructure. And then, so stuff that you think is going to happen in sort of late July, August might actually take until November, December to come together. And, yeah. and that that's okay if you understand that Mars-Saturn um, pressure. Because Mars-Saturn, I think one of you guys used that word of like frustration uh, because mm. it really is like Mars wants to move quickly and Mars in Aries wants to move instinctively and fast and on the heat of the moment. But Saturn in Capricorn, honestly, I feel like my dad is coming through this aspect because he's like, he's always saying, my, my dad basically has, you know, a tribe of children that are all... None of us actually have Mars in Aries, but we all have that quite independent sort of headstrong quality of like winging it. We're just doing it. And my dad is this Saturn energy of constantly like, have you thought about it? But how is this going to work? And what is your plan? And what's going to happen next? And that's the interaction here. Like Mars in Aries is the youthful teenager and Saturn in Capricorn is that wise, older, experienced mentor, whether it's a father figure or just an older person in general. And they're always, you know, grandparent energy. So it's like, how's that really going to work? And, the, you know, the, the wise person is sort of like that young gun just needs to run itself out a little bit and then they'll realise, you know, the, the value of planning or what have you. Um, is yeah. Winston okay, Cass? Is he, yeah. Is he giving he's us his coming. opinion? <laughs> He's just coming in. Well, he's actually, apart from his Pisces stellium, he's got a bit of airy, so he's coming in to, you know, give us his opinion. Right. Love it. It also makes me think about, you know, my toddler 
and and the times that he gets overtired and I have to wrangle him into bed and he thinks he has all the energy in the world still, but he's butting his head into things and he's tripping over things and doing different things. So that's when, you know, I have to be the Saturn and Capricorn and go, right, buddy, here's the boundary, time to rest, time to restore your body so you can get up and get at him again, you know, after a couple of hours of a nap. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's And then he's up and running around in yeah. circles again. So because so. he can't self-regulate, so he benefits no. from that input of you kind of helping him do what he needs to do but that doesn't he he wouldn't choose to do for himself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this I can be the for uh, most children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. beautiful. So there is yeah. I think there's a lot in that um that piece around um Mars Saturn. Mars retrograde. Yeah. Yes. And oh, the yeah. Mars retrograde um but I do think it's important, yeah, so Mars is in Aries that whole second half of the year. Mars will be retrograde for part of that time. And then there's, there's these, these different tones um, based on whether Mars is direct, whether it's interacting with Saturn, whether it's retrograde, etc. cetera. Uh, but that's mm. a big theme for the second half of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads us into the last one we're going to cover, which is even more of a a shift, an energy shift, which is that grand conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn. We don't have anything else before then, do we, that we wanted uh, to cover? No, that's that's really like the bulk of that second half of the year is, um, is figuring Mars. that stuff out. <laughs> yeah, going from a Venus retrograde uh, pretty much into a Mars one within a short period of time be a big media yeah i can break out one of my favorite lines for mars retrograde and um a relit cigarette never tastes the same and that's all oh. i've got to say about going back to exes <laughs> that's my favorite <laughs> oh my god oh, that's my favorite yeah. thing ever i mean so yeah venus retrograde is like may june and then mars retrograde is like september october november so yeah. there's, there's a little bit of transition time in between for other other stuff to happen, but two retrogrades. Um, I think, Cass, you might have been alluding to this earlier. We don't have Mars retrograde every year, so every second year we usually get the Mars retrograde tone uh, and so it just creates a different vibe for the year ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll also be interesting because Mars will be retrograde through Libra season too. So it'll be that, you know, that that balance, the opposition there of just am I being me? Am I putting myself out there? But I don't have the energy to. So can I let's let's put and let's look at what other people are doing and how my relationships can be and yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, we versus me axis. Yes. Yeah. Really yes. highlight that. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, but that does bring us towards the end of the year then. And It does. What, what do we want to say about, Leash, you were you were getting into this, so I feel like you might want to uh, kick us off on the December 2020 activity, which for my money is way more exciting and important than anything else yeah, that's totally. happening in 2020. Totally. I think it's the thing I'm really most excited about and it kind of draws that line in the sand. I mean, I'm looking at it from a very mundane kind of world events thing, you know, because the last time we had a shift. So Jupiter and Saturn meet together in the sky every 20 years, but for 
200 years, they meet in the same element. So basically since the early 1800s, they have been meeting in earth signs. Uh, And so this is the first time, except for 1980, 81, that they'll be joining in the air signs. So this is setting us up for a whole new 200-year cycle. And you know, in many ways, I'm looking at the mundane because it is such a big time. And, you know, basically the 18, start of the 1800s was the start, the, the big push in the industrial revolution. And so it'd be really interesting to see where humanity goes forward from with this. But um, I think it's a chance to, especially for those of us that have those Aquarius or the fixed sign aspect, aspects or the fixed sign planets, sorry, not aspects, angles, um, to have this as a big highlight for that year, uh, for the end of the year and how it's really going to kick off 2021. So yeah, what do you guys want to say about it? Um, well, uh, so many things. I did a whole lecture on this earlier in 2020 or earlier in 2019, sorry, which I think is now on my website. Uh, I don't even know where to pick one thing, but I think you did a great summary, Leash, that it's not just the end of a decade, it's the end of a 20-year cycle. So it's the start of a new 20-year chapter collectively, but also in our individual lives. And then it's not just the end of a 20-year cycle, it's actually like a 200-year changeover. So one of the things uh, that seems to be relevant then is that if we've got all of these cycles resetting, we're probably all going to feel a little unsettled for a, a bit of a time while our our body and our being and our energy and while society is adjusting to these influences that are going to carry us forward for the next 20 years and the next sort of 200 or so years. Uh, I'm quite curious about living into this air cycle, which, you know, Jupiter and Saturn will be conjunct at zero Aquarius um, right around the solstice. I, I can't remember if it's December 17 or December 20 itself in 2020. So it's like it's zero degrees of Aquarius. So these themes about uh, community and connection and anything to do with the air realm of ideas and the development of technology and the sharing of knowledge, these are all going to feature so much more strongly as we move forward. We've already been doing a little bit of that, but it is going to go up a notch or three um, as we turn the corner. And we'll really see this in 2021 uh, because 2020 is like the end of the end of all of those cycles. What about you, yes. Cass? Yeah. Sorry, Leash, what were you going to say? Oh, just because, you know, there's always that little preview a few cycles before, which we had in 1980-81, and that was, that, um, that was really when computing went mad. You know, think that that's IBM, Apple, all that stuff. So that whole thing about how we communicate, how we connect, um, how we send messages to each other will really shift and change and bring us out of the whole having to mine into the earth for resources and into a totally different way on how we connect with others and, and what's possible with technology, especially in Aquarius. Totally. Sorry. Totally. Sorry, Cass. Cass. Kel, yes. Um, Tell us. It reminds me <laughs> a little bit about um, what you were saying at the start about uh, when we were back in like 2000 and what's 2020 going to look like and I guess back in the 90s even in some uh, in some ways the 80s too we had these visions of what 2000 was going to look like and I think back then you know I get visions of the Jetsons and we were all going to be flying around in these spaceships kind of thing and of course that didn't actually happen but what has happened is such advancement 
of technology and, you know, we haven't literally moved around that differently in the last 20 years. Um, you know, aircraft has improved, uh, travelling times have improved, but there has been no crazy machine that literally makes us move around uh, better or differently but what has changed is, as you were saying, the communication, the messaging, the way we relate to one another, all of the air components. So uh, we'll probably, you know, which is nothing new to anybody, we're just going to see uh, more, I guess, infiltration of technology in the way that we connect, the way we communicate and interact with others. A lot yep. more. Yeah. So how do you guys think this will work out personally for people? What, what are you seeing as the possibilities? So one of the things I think on this front is that if we bring it right back to the personal, Jupiter and mm. Saturn are going to be in Aquarius together. So this is that transition that got flagged back in March, April, May, June with Saturn coming into Aquarius. And so I think I always think of, you know, Saturn as the principle of, of grounding and structuring and Jupiter as the principle of like growth and expansion. And so we're kind of being asked to do both around the same part of our chart. And this is really, you know, 2021 themes. But I do think all of us are going to be asked to really connect into the topics of our Aquarius uh, house. So think about where is Aquarius in my chart? Is this career? Is this relationships? If it's on your seventh, is it money? If you have an Aquarius second house, is it family or children if it's fourth house or fifth house? And so there is going to be that need to kind of revision what are the goals and how am I going to get there, but also looking for opportunities in those parts of our, our lives as well. So I think there is definitely some really important material about just having Saturn and Jupiter together in the one part of our chart. Mm, agreed. Um, and having Saturn and Jupiter together in the house beforehand um, as a closing mm. down of cycle, it almost has this suggestion that deal with the Capricorn house this year, clean it up, fix it up, so then you can really make uh, great use of the Aquarius house and the new possibilities and potential that are around there because not only is it just a, another transit but it's such a, a symbol of such new possibilities um, and the way of all of our futures in a way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's 2020. And I think one thing to say on this front too, 2021 is a whole different kettle of fish. So we've got Saturn and Jupiter in a fixed sign. We've got Uranus in a fixed sign. We've got the nodes in air and fire. We've got this strong air emphasis. Even if we didn't have all the background about the Jupiter-Saturn grand conjunctions, we're going to have Jupiter-Saturn in air signs and we're going to have one of the nodes in an air sign for 2021. So yeah. if you have found the 2018, 2019, you know, 2020 years kind of heavy or melancholy or, you know, that sort of extreme Capricorn tone, it is going to be very different. Um, like the end of 2020 is the end of all of that. And regardless of what comes next, it is going to be nice just to have some fresh stuff to deal with uh, rather than more of the same, if you like. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And this is that piece, you know, that we we're talking about earlier with Jupiter and Pluto. It's like there is hope 
in the rebirth, but we have to just get through the process of what we've been going through. So knowing that, you know, the challenges, the tests, the the letting go of things is all towards a, po- a, a purpose. So it Absolutely. is important to keep that future vision there and to keep that, you know, the, the one thing I love about Aquarius is the neutrality that it has and the, the high ethics and the high ideals. So while right now it may seem like there are no answers in the world and, you know, things are going to hell in a handbasket um, on a global level, um, I feel like answers will come in that period. You know, new things will happen, fresh starts will come through. So it is, I'm personally quite excited about what 2021 is going to bring. Just got to remember to just kind of do the work now to get us ready for 2021. Um, Do you have any closing thoughts, Kel? I, I mean, I think that kind of is my closing thought that 2020 is the last of this extreme Capricorn focus and that when we get to the end of the year, we're really sort of Pluto will still be in Capricorn, but that is it. Now, Pluto yeah. has been in Capricorn Thank since God. 2008. So, you know, we've had this extreme emphasis on Capricorn since the end of 2017 when Saturn came in. So that is what is ending at the end of 2020. And throughout 2020, we get these progressive shifts where we get the nodes leave the Capricorn, Saturn dips out for a bit. So, even when we return to, you know, the Capricorn, in, the cardinal intensity in the second half of the year with the Mars retrograde and Saturn dance, the nodes are no longer in the picture. And I think that is something, you know, to be to be grateful for. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, so I, I think we'll all just keep taking care of each other through the next year and then we'll be in a beautiful place to see what, uh, you know, the start of 2021, which is this whole new era and epoch. Um, has to offer. Mm. What about else? Yeah, I sort of think, you know, you might be staring down the barrel of 2020 in January going, are we there yet? And we're like, yes, in December. Yes. (laughs) So it's just like hang in there. Uh, There are some uh, previews and and little shifts and then a bit of a grind and then we can, um, you know, enjoy December uh, as a fresh new beginning that will really launch pad us into uh, 2021, into a new decade and into a new era. So yep. good. Yeah, so, so speaking true. of like new decades and new eras, what do you girls have going on in 2020? What don't I have going on in yeah. 2020? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> uh, so many things. So I have a brand new website. Um, hopefully, well, it won't be, uh, available like when, uh, this goes to air, but by January sometime, there'll be a brand new website, um, brand new, uh, members area, uh, be loads of 2020 astrology available. If you are looking to get more insight, um, and, uh, guidance throughout the year, lots more learning astrology, um, lots more courses and all the things. So that's all over on CassandraTindall.com. How about you girls? What have you got happening? Kate? Oh, okay. Uh, So I will be teaching my chart interpretation series as well as my beginner astrology course. They're going to be refreshed and updated this year. So if you're looking to really get some good 
uh, grounding in these sort of core foundations in astrology, uh, you can pop over to Kelly's Astrology, go onto the Learn Astrology tab. Uh, there's the Chart Interpretation Series. There's also all of my online classes. I did a lot of teaching uh, in 2019 and the recordings of everything are available for download. The other thing that I'll be continuing to sort of improve and enhance the offering for is my monthly astrology uh, subscription service. So my monthly astrology guide for all my members. Uh, for those of you who would like um, lots of detail about uh, every aspect every month in terms of some weekly videos, some really helpful PDF handouts, you can sign up for that anytime uh, via my homepage, kellysastrology.com. Just scroll down to the bottom uh, of the page and you'll see the monthly uh, info there. So if you're looking for more astrology, that's a great offering. Uh, but the main project for me in 2020 will be writing my book. So that is uh, where I'll be spending a lot of time in the writing cave this year. Uh, what about you, Leish? Lots of exciting developments for you, gals. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm so excited about your new website, Cass. Me yeah. too. Yes. <laughs> it's, been, it's been my uh, 2019 pain in the butt. Mm. <laughs> okay, let's leave that one behind. That's good. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> okay, you, Leishi, what's happening? Uh, I'm putting together a monthly webinar series. So every month I'm going to be doing a new topic, a different topic. Um, so yeah, keep your eyes peeled for things coming out about that. And I've got my new moon gatherings, which will continue through 2020, which have been, yeah, people are really enjoying them and, and um, connecting into them. So I'm going to be doing it a bit different this year. There will be a, a group that will go the whole year. Um, it will be a limited number of spaces and people can join in that. Um, and there'll be a pre-recorded version that people can just download when they're ready. So just to keep an eye out for that. And I'll also be teaching some courses this year. So I think in February, I'll be starting a um, the level above. So I'll be looking, teaching a course on aspects and how to bring the whole chart together. So for those who did the foundations of astrology with me, that'll be available um, in a first intake in February. And I will be at some stage uh, recording my beginner's astrology to have available for download from my website too. So Fantastic. lots of opportunity for people to learn from us. Um, astrology in the year ahead. I think 2020 is going to be great. Yes. And we'll have more detail about this as the year goes, but we might have a special event in September of 2020 uh, in the US that we're just uh, looking at. I don't know. Do we want to like, yeah. Like I don't think we're not locked in enough to really announce it yet. Okay. We're locked in, but not. there's no details. No, it's no coming. details. That was more just yeah. like um, check back early in 2020 for more details. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Except to say that my husband's giving up our 10-year wedding anniversary for it, so. <laughs> you better turn up. <laughs> Come to our uh, US event. Mm. On All right. Joseph. Well, thanks. Thanks so much, ladies. And here's to 2020 being an amazing year for everybody. Um, yeah. The hard, the hard work and and the and the focus um, gets us through. Fantastic. Well, and we'll be back uh, with all of our regular episodes too. So we look forward to hearing from people. And uh, yeah, if you've got any comments about 2020 or any events, I guess leave us a comment below and make sure you subscribe uh, via all the relevant places, whether you're listening to us on your favorite uh, podcast service or whether you're watching us on YouTube. Cool. I wish you all the best for 2020. Okay. 
May the force be with you. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.